40 days in prayer. We're going to learn how to pray in five dimensions this morning. Is that all right with you? For those of you that are sci-fi, I'm not talking about some weird stuff. But five dimensions. It's going to be a little different this morning. I don't have a scripture to start out with, so you can stay seated. Thanks, guys. You've done a wonderful job. They're going to be back up in a little bit. Uh, we're taking communion together today, and uh, it's going to be exciting. But I want to talk to you about in our prayer life is that we can pray in multiple dimensions. Do, 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 you pray in multiple dimensions. Uh, I hate sci-fi. My wife will tell you, I don't like, I don't like watching anything. So I'm like, that's not real. And then she'll tell me, well, that spy movie you watched wasn't real. Yeah, but it's more real than that other stuff, right? My kids like watching the Avengers and all. I'm like, it's not real. So whenever you say praying in five dimensions, everybody's like, you know, spaceships and but it's really not and I'm going to explain it to you this morning so we're not teletransporting anybody anywhere we're not we're not um, we're not sitting there waiting to be mentally transported into another dimension so that we can talk to a God that nobody's seen before Um, this is practical stuff this morning all right so we're going to pray multiple dimensions because God is a multi-dimensional God we see in his creation Romans 1.20 says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen in what has been made so that men are without excuse. Say the evidence of God exists all around us. I've been having a little bit of back trouble lately, and so I've been kind of figuring out or being told how how your nervous system works and all that stuff and how your spine works. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. Who could have thought up something like that? Listen, if I was God with a knot, you would look a lot different. Because I'm, I wouldn't have had, can you imagine just how your body, forget how a tree grows. Forget how the mountains were created. Forget how a fish was formed. The God of all the universe. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, the world, the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, divine nature have clearly been seen in what has been made. It's unbelievable how things work. Job 11, chapter 11, starting at verse 7, can you fathom the limits and bounds of the greatness and power of God? The sky has no limit for God, but it lies beyond our reach. God knows the world of the dead, but you do not know it. God's greatness is broader than the earth. And wider than the sea. We also see it in Jesus' incarnation. Jesus is the word become flesh, the Bible says. Jesus is is God himself come to earth. Emmanuel, God with us, the Bible says. John 1.14 says the word became a human being and lived among us. We saw his glory and he was full of grace and truth. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is here, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's crazy just in itself. Because if you catch me on the wrong day, I'm a totally different person. Anybody else like that? Some of you didn't get your coffee this morning and that's why you're sitting by yourself. (laughs) Because you're not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could you imagine 
He's God. He never changes. He's not fickle. He's not flippant. He's not, he's not this, he's not somebody that, that one minute is going to be excited for you and the next minute is going to be angry with you. He's the same. We've never experienced anybody like that. At the best, the calmest of us have an anger problem at times. At the best, the kindest in here is selfish at some point in time. But God in his infinite, perfect way is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So many marriages would be better. Look at your spouse, say, you're the same person. I was just kidding. Revelations 1.4 says, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. That includes just about everything, doesn't it? Before time, he was there. God doesn't operate by seconds and minutes and hours. There is no time with God. He just is. When he came to Moses and Moses said, who am I supposed to say sent me? He said, say, I am sent you. You think, well, what kind of name is that? Well, I, I, God didn't have a beginning and an end. He just is. And it's something that is hard for us to fathom. He's, he's all these dimensions at the same time. We also see in how the Holy Spirit moves. In John 3, 8, it says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear a sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. There's not a bunch of Oompa Loompas with a big fan on the other side of the county. Nobody's just blowing air. The wind just blows, he says. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but it just blows. And that's the way it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You, you don't see the Holy Spirit, but he's here. Okay, just making sure you're in church. Job 9, verses 10 and 11, he says, He does wonders that cannot be understood. He does so many miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I can't see him. And when he goes by me, I don't recognize him. It isn't awesome when you, when you have a moment when you realize God's presence is in the room. Isn't it cool? Anybody experienced that where, where something happened and then you had the recognition that the only way that could have happened was for God to do it? And boom, in that instance, you felt like, all right, he's here. You can't see him, you can't touch him, but there's something that you can physically, he's here. He's here. It's not like a creepy somebody staring at me, behind me, but it's, a, it's that peace that passes all understanding. It's the presence of God that you can't see or touch. But you know he's there. It's the multiple dimensions that God operates in. Because God is a multidimensional God, I'm never alone. Did you hear that? Because he is a multidimensional God, he's never, you're never alone. So no matter who leaves you on this earth, no matter, no matter what difficult relationships you have, he is always with you. You're never alone. Psalms 139, 7 through 12, it says this, where could I go to escape you? Where, you can't play hide and seek with God. You can't do it. He already knows where you were going to go before you went there. He doesn't have to count. 
Where can I go to escape from you? Where can I ever get away from your presence? If I went to heaven, you'd be there. If I lay down in the world of the dead, you'd be there. If I flew away to the east and lived in the farthest place in the west, you'd be there to lead me. You'd be there to help me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, but even darkness is not dark for you. Come on, somebody that's going through something tough right now, say amen to that. I could ask the darkness to hide me, but even darkness is not dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. God is like your cat. He can see in the dark. Your cat's not tripping over things when all the lights are out. That's how he could jump right up on your bed and get in your face. How did he know where I was? He could see in the dark. God's better than your cat. But God's better than all cats. Thank you. I was waiting on that. Darkness and light are the same to you. So if God is multidimensional, he's everywhere all the time, every time. You can pray of him, pray to him about every dimension of your life. We said it before, there's nothing off limits. There's nothing off limits with God. You can pray to him about every dimension. So we're going to talk about five dimensions of your life, all right? Five dimensions of your life that we can talk about. So the first one is this. You can look backwards to the cross. So we're going to look back. This is a good place. Have you ever looked back on your life? Actually, I was just doing it, sitting, standing right there while we were singing. I was thinking, Lord, thank you. I kind of start the day off every day saying, God, you're good. Remember we talked about that the other week? God, you're good. I want to start my day off like that with the knowledge that God is good. No matter how it starts, God is good. And so part of what I do is I'll think often about where I was and where I am and how God's goodness got me all those places. So when I look back, I see the grace of God. When I look back, I see God's power. When I look back, I see his mercy. When I look back, I see his strength. When I look back, I see all the things that I wasn't but he was. So we can pray to God looking back. We can remember these things, that God loves me deeply, that the evil and sin cost something. Amen? That my sin cost something. And then I can also realize how completely I'm forgiven. Sometimes I stand in awe. God, why would you do this to me? Why? And I, and I know you could think the same thing. God, how could you bless somebody like me? How could you? Let me tell you a little story. I was supposed to be brain damaged. Before you start chuckling, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I, worked, I worked at a place uh, when I was um, failing college. I went a couple semesters. It was fun. Um, but I would work summer work at, at a place in Martinsburg at a factory and, and a, a Somehow the conversation came up, and, and if you've been around the church for, uh, for a while, you probably know this story about me, um, but I, w- I told the lady the story about how I was born, and, and I started twitching. I said, I only have one little thing from it, and, and her eyes got real big, like, oh, wh- are you serious? And I went, no, nah, I'm just kidding. No twitch. Uh, in 19, I was born in 1976. I was on a military. My dad was stationed in the military in Dover, Delaware, and we, and, and, um, and I was, I was a, I was a 10 month baby. Back then they were like, oh, he'll come when he gets ready. 
year and a half, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I was, um, uh, my mom went into emergency birth uh, at, the, at the hospital there on base and, um, and the, cord, the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. And she said she remembers them because the doctor just kept saying, oh, it'll, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I was supposed to be born in March. And, um, and so April 13th, throw up on the gurney. She said she remembers the guy jumping up on the gurney and starting to cut her before they ever even got back in the room. And she said she was screaming, you killed my baby, you killed my baby. So my dad picks up the phone, he calls. They tell my dad, hey, your, your son is dead and we're trying to save your wife. He picks up the phone, he calls back to West Virginia where my grandparents owned a service station. And, um, and he said, hey, I don't know what's gonna happen. So my granddad said that he walked back in the back of his shop and just started praying. <laughs> and the, I was born, obviously. <laughs> but they told my parents I had went 25 minutes with no oxygen. And uh, they said, he's going to have brain damage. You're going to have to wait and see how much. And um, so I walked when I was eight months old, but I was really, I was really older than that. If you think about it, I was supposed to be born in March. I was really, oh, so it's not, it's not that fascinating when you add it together. Well, I was like nine and a half months old. That's pretty average. Um, but you have that same, you might not have that story, but you've got a story that when you look back, all you see is the grace of God. And that's something you can pray about. That's something that you should look up to you should pray in the dimension of looking back at the cross because without the cross, there's no grandfather walking in the back room of his shop praying that the God of all creation, that Jacob said, you're the God that answers prayer that would, that would, that would have enough grace and mercy to reach down, touch a little kid because he had purpose for him. And your life is the same way. There's story after story after story. And your life, when you look backwards, if the cross shows up, because the grace and, without the grace and mercy of God, you wouldn't be sitting here today. You wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be in the family you have today. You wouldn't be in the job you have today. You wouldn't be in the blessing you're experiencing today. You wouldn't be alive today. So we look back and we realize that the grace and mercy of God that he poured out on all of us for the cross, on the cross, because by his stripes, the Bible says, we're healed. It, he provides for everything through the atonement. So we look back and we see the cross. God paid a ransom, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Think about this. Right now, all your sins are in the past. But so is the cross. Everything that you've been guilty of is covered by that, by that one time. And the exciting thing is he's already paid the price for the sin you will commit tomorrow. And I know you're going to, I know some of you. You're already thinking about it. He's already paid for him. Paul said, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Just because Christ paid for our sins in the future doesn't mean we have a free, a free ticket to do it. But we have the confidence that when we do sin, he forgives us. Amen? 
We look backward to the cross. The second thing is I look up to my Father's love. The Bible says look, look up to where your help comes from. We've got to focus on the fact that God wants me to see him as my Father. For some of you, this, this may be hard to do. Maybe your father wasn't the guy you were hoping, or maybe he was difficult or mean, domineering. But, but Jesus himself, when he taught the disciples how to pray, he taught them to start out with what? Do you, do you know? It's the Lord's Prayer. And it starts with what? Our Father. Our Father. Who art? Oh, we just started King James version of it. Who art in heaven. Our Father. Jesus said when you pray, recognize that God is your Father. Now, it's an intimate. It's Abba Father. It's, it means Daddy. Now, now, my kids will still call me daddy sometimes. Um, my, my oldest just turned 20 on February, uh, uh, Friday. And she still calls me daddy sometimes. I'm like, What's, I don't know. He says, when you pray, start with daddy. We talked last week about how important it is to look at God as good. So when you start to pray, if you change one thing in your life, start looking at God as your heavenly father who cares about you, who's went to the ends of the earth for you, who's orchestrated all the good in your life. Start thinking about him that way. It sets the tone for everything else. It'll change the way you pray if you make this one decision to start looking as Jesus said, call him dad. Just realize that he wants the best for you, that he's, that, he's, that he's working hard for you. That he's your father who loves you. When you pray, you're not, you're not trying to convince somebody to be good to you. It's not like going to a bank. Hey, no, no, I'm really good for this. No, 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 I, I, listen, you can look at my credit score, God. I'm really, I'm, I, I mean, I pay my bills on time. You don't have to convince God to be good to you. Can I stay there just for a second? Some of you, because of your past, believe that you have to have a conversation with God every time to convince him that you're good enough now for him to do something for you. That's not biblical. Because it's not by works lest any man should boast, the Bible says. So if God is gonna do something good for you, it's because he's good, not because you're great. So if we spend most of our time in prayer trying to convince God that this week I didn't sin as much as I did last week, we're still on the same footing. We're still on the same footing. We're sinners. So when we pray, that's why Jesus said, just ask him like a dad. Dad, you spanked me last week, but uh, can I get money this week? I'm on a lollipop. You know how your kids operate? If you punish them, they don't, they don't not come to you as father. Hey, you're grounded. Okay, I did it. Yep, I'll accept the punishment. A week later. Hey, can I get a new phone? What? So, so we have to change the way we think about God. You have to start out with, he's good and he loves me. Come on, just say that out loud. He's good and he loves me. Some of you need convincing. He's good and he loves me. 
Romans 8, 15 through 17, you should not act like cowering, fearful slaves since God's spirit has adopted you as children into God's family. Instead, by his spirit, we simply cry, Abba, which means daddy. And God's spirit affirms that we really are his children. And since we are now God's children, we're also heirs with Christ. And we will share in both his suffering and his glory packed with life changing. This is, this is it. Listen, here's the problem. Sometimes, sometimes when you're adopted into something, you have to convince yourself the parents are already convinced. <laughs> I'm going to stay here for a second. Listen, if a parent adopts a child, they went through a massive process to get that done. Amen? So there's no having to convince the parents that they love the kid. They've spent piles of money, piles of time. They've invited people into their house. They've had every crack examined. They've had every nook and cranny looked at. They've, had, they've went through the ringer to adopt this kid. But sometime the kid has to be convinced. Wait a second, I don't look like you. Wait a second, I realize that I don't, I, I don't talk like you. I don't, yeah, but we love you. Well, I, I'm not convinced but we love you. And it's the same way we're adopted into God's family. And, and it's not God that has to be convinced to do good to you. It's you that have to be convinced. And that's why, that's why the scripture says, don't be cowering around. You shouldn't act like cowering, fearful slaves. Since God's spirit has adopted you as children, as God's family, it's act like you're God's children. Act like you have resources. Amen? Act like you have a creator that cares for you. Act like you've been adopted into a really good family. You don't know who my dad is. I just like to tell people that when they start getting on you. You don't know who my dad is. You better shut up. I start praying, man. It might not go well for you. Sometimes it's easy to tell what people think of God when you listen to him pray. School teacher, like, like you have to raise your hand. Can I go, Lord, can I go to the bathroom? God wants our prayers to be personal. He wants them to be passionate. He wants us to partner with the Holy Spirit. We don't know what to pray about. He wants to be our Father. He wants us to, he wants to be personal, like, like a child talking to his dad that loves him. It's intimate, childlike, unpretentious, honest, unassuming. He wants them to be the deepest part, honest with him. He wants them to be passionate. It's okay to cry out. You know what's, you know what's great about babies, and we have it happen here, they don't know the etiquette of when not to cry out. Think about it. It's funny watching new parents because they look down there like, shh, like the kid's supposed to know. Like, oh, I forgot we were in church. I won't cry. No, the kid's like, dude, I'm hungry. Feed me or put up with this crying. One way or the other, I'm getting what I want. You know, you know what I think we miss sometimes as Christians is that like a baby, one way or another, they get what they want. There's something about passionate prayer that moves the heart of God. And if it's stirred, if he's put the desire in you and stirred you enough to passionately pray like a baby screaming out in church, 
where you're just like, hey, kids, listen, mom's got to go in the back room and pray a little bit. You're just going to have to wait on yourself because, because your, your dad and I got to get something figured out and I got to pray about it right now. We need to see that passion come back in our prayer life where we'll put other things on hold because there's, we got to scream out every now and then. One of the great things about this prayer time is that you'll find yourself being able to do that. I remember when we started this years ago, that 24-7 prayer, you'd be all by yourself in a room and you'd realize, man, you know what? Nobody can hear me. Oh, I could say something crazy now. Because we're always like, oh, it's got to be this nice little pretty prayer. When a baby wants something to eat, nothing about it's pretty. I don't care if it's a cute baby. That thing turns into the devil over in a second. Like, why, how did it wrinkle up its face like that? I'll feed you, just settle down. But God wants us to be passionate when we pray. Put some feeling in your prayers every now and then. What's the last time you went, God, I need this to happen? Or is it just like, oh, Lord, you're nice. He wants us to partner with the Holy Spirit. When we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit does. The Bible, the Bible comforts us with, with that. Romans 8, 26, it says also the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We often don't even know how to pray as we should. Aren't you glad that that God is saying, hey, pray, but when you don't even know what to pray for, I'll help you. It's like a teacher saying, hey, we're going to take the test, and if you don't know the answers, ha, I'll give you the cheat sheet. He's saying, if you don't know what to pray, I've sent the Holy Spirit, he'll help you pray. You know what, In, in my life, in the last five years, there have been times where I've laid on the bed and just groaned. And the confidence I have is this verse, these verses in Romans 8 that God understood every groan. You ever been in that place where you didn't even have words to say? You just went, ah. Then you read Romans 8 and you realize he understood every one of those. He understood every tear. He understood every cry. He understood every moment when you couldn't get enough strength to say something. He understood it because he's your dad. He understands. He wants you to be personal, passionate, and partner with the Holy Spirit. That Romans 8, 26 says, but the Spirit himself speaks to God for us, even begs God on our behalf with deep groanings and feelings that words cannot express. God our Father understands. Even if you don't know how to pray, you show up. Even if you don't know what to pray, you show up and you're passionate about it. And God will join with you himself. It's crazy. It's almost like God's talking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? I know you do. You're talking to yourself right now. I'm talking to you and you're talking to yourself. You're like, I don't believe him. Why do you wear that shirt today? God does the same thing. When you're, when you're talking to him, the Holy Spirit's talking. We're going to heal that person. We're going to answer that prayer. They don't know how to pray. We'll pray for them. It's amazing. It's amazing. So we look back to the cross. We look up to the Father's love. The third thing, quickly. I look inward to Jesus living inside me. Remember, he's not just in heaven. 
When we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And, we, and, and, and Jesus lives inside of us. You might have been told that as a kid. You went, wait a second, I'm 30 pounds. How'd God get inside of me? He's not just in heaven. He's, he's close to us. He's inside of us. He's a trinity. All three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It, our bodies are the temple, the Bible says, of the Holy Spirit. It's where he resides. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see if your faith is real and growing. Test yourself. Remember that Jesus is living in you unless you have failed your test. He's in you. I can't get any better than that until I see him face to face. Proverbs 28, 13, if you try to hide your sins, you'll never succeed. But if you humbly confess them, reject them, you'll receive mercy. So the only thing, listen, the only thing that can keep God from living in us is unconfessed sin. Unrepentant sin. We don't want to block it. We don't want to, we don't want to dismantle what God has done in us by not confessing our sin. This is going to be a touchy little subject here. I want to make sure I do it right. I want to say this. God already knows everything about you. And when I say that, everybody's like, I know he does. He knows the hairs on my head. He knows. No, he knows. He knows the sin you're contemplating. He knows the next sin that you will, that you will fail to. He knows. The issue is, remember when we, just a second ago, I said it wants to be personal, passionate, in, in a partnership of prayer, the personal part. He wants you to be honest with him. You know what's crazy about relationships? Your relationships are as intimate as your on, level of honesty. Think about it. There's things, if you're married here, there's things that you haven't told your spouse and it will, your level of intimacy stops at what you won't talk about. Did you hear that? Your level of intimacy, like, we don't need to talk about that. Okay. It stopped. Well, then I don't know anything more about you. The issue with God is he already knows everything about us. He's trying to get us to be intimate with him. It's not vice versa. He, he already knows. He's as intimate with us as anyone can possibly be. But he desires us to be intimate with him. So he wants us to talk about those things. He wants us to confess our sin to him, not act like it didn't happen. And so... God is close to us, he's in us, and the thing that breaks that is the sin in our life. So he already knows what we need to work on, but when we start being honest with him, it takes intimacy to the next level. It takes a, when you started dating, you didn't tell that person everything. You're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait and make sure they're not an ax murderer before I tell them where I live. And then you told them where you lived. And then they came and met your parents. And it got to be a little more intimate. Oh, they know my parents' name. Oh, that's cool. Doesn't seem like ax murderer type people, so maybe I'll be safe. And so then a little by little by little, but you know as well as I do, at some point along the road, we went, okay, that's enough. Any honest people in the room? Don't look at me like cross-eyed, like I tell my spouse everything. No, you don't. No, you don't. So if you don't tell your spouse everything, I know you're not telling God everything. But the only person we're tricking is us. 
Amen? Because he already knows. And so the intimacy is not on God's part, it's on ours. God, this is what I'm struggling with. Yeah, I knew that. And I'm here to help. God, this is what, this is what it is. This is what it is. And so the more we're honest with him, the more intimate our relationship will be. We're not keeping any secrets. So remember this. We look back to the cross. We look up to the Father's face. We will look inward. What is God trying to do in me? What is he trying to clean up in me? Jesus is in me trying to do that work. So we look back, up, and in. And then number four, we look around. Look around. Look at your neighbor. Look around. We look around ask the Holy Spirit to use me. We look around for the Holy Spirit to use us. How many of you, um, just by a show of hands, how many of you see what's wrong first? Come on, be honest. How many of you, when you walk into a situation, you automatically see what's wrong? It's the first thing that pops out to you. See what's wrong. Yeah? Some of you are like looking at me like, I'm not going to tell you, but I know what's wrong. You know what God wants us to do? Become the solution to that. If you have the gift of criticism, (laughs) somebody told you it was a gift. Somebody told you it was a gift. Nobody around you thinks it's a gift, by the way. Nobody around you thinks it's a gift. Everybody's like, jerk. You're like, I have the gift of critique. No, you have the gift of being a jerk. You're getting the two confused. You look around, ask the Holy Spirit to use me. The issue is, if we only see problems and we don't offer any solutions, then you are a jerk. Amen? Because part of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is us helping other people. And so just pointing out problems with no solutions or no, or no reach out a hand to help is no solution at all. And so... So we need to look around and ask God to use us in the, in the lives of the people in this very room, Romans 6, 13. Give yourself completely to God, every part of you, since you've been given a new life and you want to be used as a tool in the hands of God, used for his good purposes. There's people even in this room waiting for you to act, waiting for you to extend your life to help somebody else, waiting for you to serve. There's people in your community waiting on you. So we look back, we look up, we look in, and then we look around. God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Now, now let me say something about this. Some of you overcomplicate it. I've, I've, heard, people, um, I've heard people in their 60s go, I'm just trying to figure out what God wants me to do. I'm like, look, time's running out. You got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. I mean, at best, <laughs> we got another 20 years. I mean, you, it's a joke. Some people will just spend so much time fretting over what God wants them to do. This is going to segue into the next one. You know what my philosophy is? Do whatever's in front of you. It's, it's not, God's not, God, God's will for your life is not that complicated. Scripture already tells us what God expects of us. Amen. 
He expects, expects us to be giving, sacrificial people. He expects us to be generous. He expects us to be kind. He expects, expects us to put others before ourselves. All these things. And so whenever, that opportun- whenever the opportunity for those things come about, do those things. It's like, well, I don't know if God wants me to be generous or not. No, it's already been decided. He does. He does. So when you hear of a need and you go, Lord, I mean, we're going to have to pray about it. You don't, even, you don't have to pray about it. You know what the beauty of knowing God's word is and his will for your life? It's that you, it's you free up so much prayer time, it's not even funny. Watch how this happens. Somebody comes to you and they say, hey, there's a family in need. Well, we're going to pray about it. No, don't pray about it. Give them whatever they need. Even if it costs you something, even if it's sacrificial. The Bible says, Paul says, with whatever you sow, whatever measure you sow is a measure you will reap. So you know what? If, if it's a big deal and you're like, man, this is, I don't know if we can do this. You don't have to pray about it. You just do it. And the Bible says that whatever measure you sow is the measure you will reap. He said he will continually bless you so you can be generous on all occasions. So you know what we stop doing? We stop praying about being generous. Because I believe God said already do it. So you know what I can pray about? Something else. God, should I... Um, should I take advantage of this opportunity in front of me? Yeah. You know what I always do? I always assume, I I don't know if this is good or not. Let me think about it before I tell you. No, it's good. (laughs) I always assume it's yes until he says no. See, some of you assume it's no until he says yes, and that's why you're slow. That was a kind thing. That was a kind thing I just said. Some of you assume no until you hear a definite yes. Why wouldn't the Heavenly Father want to say yes to me? So I just wake up in the morning with the idea that he's saying yes. Remember last week we said, if, if, a, if, a, if your father knows how to good gifts, give good gifts, how much more does the Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to his children? And so I wake up in the morning thinking yes is the answer. And unless he throws a roadblock up in front of me, I'm going to keep running. So, so instead of praying, God, should, should I help this person? Yes. God, should I take advantage of this opportunity? Yes. And then if I get down the road a little bit and he says no, then fine. I've learned some stuff. But I'm going to wake up in the morning with a yes on my mind. That'll change your perspective. That'll change your life. Some of you have passed up opportunities, not because God didn't say no, but because he didn't say anything. The problem was it was already in his scripture. And if we commit the scripture to memory, I'm pointing at my iPad like it's the Bible. If we commit his scripture to memory, then the yes has already been said. Come on, are you following me here? This will speed up your generosity. This will speed up your kindness. Lord, am I supposed to treat my, am I supposed to treat my boss who's a jerk to me every day? As a, am I supposed to treat them well? You don't have to pray about that. The answer is already. Yes. yes. It says do good to those who persecute you. And so I don't have to pray. I don't even have to pray God changes them. No, because Lord, in fact, don't change them. Because every time they're mean to me and I'm good to them, 
<laughs> I'm just doing your will, Lord. This is easy. Put me in a group, put me in a room with a whole bunch of jerks, man, and I can, I can act like Jesus every day. This is awesome. See, you've been praying the wrong prayer. You've been praying, God, change these people. How about just do what he already said and just be nice for once? Listen, what you might find out is if you walk into your office next week and be nice, you might have been the source of them being a jerk. Never, never mind. That's a whole other sermon. You've been praying God changed them, and you're the one that needed to change. you got to look around. So you look back at the cross, up to the Father, in to the spirit in you, and then you look around and ask God to use you. And then the last one, I look forward to my future in faith. Some of you need to look on. God is still using you. God's not done with you. You have breath in your body. He's not done with you. I'm gonna say that again. If you're sitting here breathing today, I don't care what you've been through. I don't care. I don't care how many broken relationships. I don't care how many jobs. I don't care how many rejections. I don't care. If you're still breathing, there's still room for him to use you. You still have a future to look forward. You still have a future to wake up. You gotta pray like that. Wake up with a yes. God's going to use me today. Philippians, 1, 6, I'm con- uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I'm confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that he's doing that in our lives. Paul, at the end of his life, sitting in a prison, wrote to the Philippians and he said this. He said, Not that I've attained all this stuff yet. He was writing about perfection. He said, not that I've gotten there, but one thing I do, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me, of me. So I don't care if you're 80, I don't care if you're 40, I don't care if you're 30 and you think your life's already over. God has a purpose for you and you have something to wake up for tomorrow and look forward to. There's a yes in your tomorrow from God. You can wake up tomorrow and realize, Lord, I'm not, just like Paul said, the apostle Paul said this at the end of his life. He said, man, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm not where I want to be. But I wake up every morning pushing towards that mark, pushing towards God called me to do stuff and I'm pushing towards that and I'm not going to give up. If there's anyone here this morning that thought about giving up, just the fact that you're here hearing this is a yes from God. To push on, to keep going, keep going, keep going. Wake up tomorrow and expect God to say yes. Wake up tomorrow and expect him to do something in your life. Wake up tomorrow and expect purpose. Don't wake up tomorrow defeated. He's still got a plan for you. Wake up tomorrow, look in the mirror and say, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm pressing on to take hold of why you grabbed me. Look up and say, God, you grabbed me and I'm I'm trying to walk that out. And I know today is going to be part of that. I know today is going to be part of that. Five dimensions of prayer. You look back, God, your grace and mercy on my life. You've forgiven all my sins. You look up, Lord, you're my father. You want to do good things for me. You look in, forgive me of this sin. Cleanse me, Lord, change me. You look around, Be generous every time, Lord. 
Send them my way. Send them my way. I'll treat them right every time. And then you look forward. I know my best.